the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We have a great show for you today. Election Day is coming up, and there's a ballot proposal, Prop 3 as it's called, about uh, women's rights, etc., about what to do with their own bodies. So we have a rebroadcast of Rabbanit Adina Berkowitz talking about abortion and halacha, the Jewish perspective on abortion. And it's very insightful, and you will want to listen to this. We have Jewish music scattered throughout the show. The portion of the week, which we'll discuss in the next half hour, is the portion of Noah can be found in Genesis 6 and following the story of the flood. We have an awesome Hasidic story. But before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. An Arab terrorist wanted for murder of an IDF sergeant earlier this month attacked a soldier in Male Adumim. The attacker was shot and killed. One Arab was killed by security forces after he shot at a sukkah in Beth El. Three others were arrested. Three Israeli Arabs were charged with spying for Hamas as they passed classified information about the Israeli cell phone system to Hamas operatives in Turkey. Russia deployed 1,200 soldiers and its air defense system from Syria to use in Ukraine. 
Israel has needed Russian cooperation for the past years in order to conduct raids, air raids, into Iran on against Iran in Syria. Pressure is now being put on Israel to send defense systems to Ukraine now that Israel no longer needs Russia's cooperation. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz said that Israel would continue sending humanitarian aid but would not send armaments. Australia reversed its decision to move its Israeli embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Israel, Australia's conservative government said it would move the embassy in 2018, but never did. The current liberal government now maintains that the status of Jerusalem should be finalized by the Israelis and Palestinians, and conservative and liberal are the name of the parties over there. And finally, some good news, Israel and Bahrain signed an agricultural accord that would have the two countries sharing information on growing crops in the desert. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Shulton here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Rabbinit Adina Berkowitz. Everybody knows what's going on with the news, unless you've been living in a cave. The uh, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, leaked a uh, upcoming decision about an overturning of Roe v. Wade, and this has spurned all kinds of discussions among like everybody and everybody's uncle, as to what now. And so, of course, then, Halacha has been talking about such things. Jews have been talking about such, such things for 3,300 years. And we would thank you so much, Adina, for coming on. Oh, wonderful to be with you. Okay, there is an old joke, and it says it's a good thing, to, it says in the Talmud, to start with a joke. So there's a joke where there's a, a uh, panel discussion, a rabbi, a minister, and a and a and a Catholic priest. And this topic of discussion is, when does life begin? And the Catholic priest says that life begins at conception. And the Baptist minister says, life begins at birth. And the rabbi says, life begins when the kids move out of the house. Okay. Yes, yes everybody. It's, it's, it's old. But... <laughs> All, all kidding aside, this is a serious topic. Now, before we go into this thing, you're, you've counseled lots and lots and lots of people. And have you ever had to tell a woman, listen, in your situation, I think it would be best to terminate your pregnancy? Well, I, I have counseled people who um, have faced um, 
deep challenges, um, having gone through just sort of routine pre, uh, you know, uh, genetic testing and, uh, and um, on the one hand, you know, finding out their carriers. But I do remember a case of someone who found out she was about um, almost five months pregnant and she found out that um, the uh, fetus child, unborn child that she was carrying had severe, severe uh, disabilities that were going to uh, a condition where essentially like the former had a brain and there were, there were other, uh, it was a while ago, I don't remember all the particulars, but you're born without uh, certain limbs. It, it just was, it was just terrible. And the determination of, you know, at the time I said to her, you know, go, go get a stock, which is a uh, talk specifically to your rabbi about this. Uh, but what we went over was what, when we look at what the Jewish, the, the Jewish, you know, again, you know, I thought you were going to say two Jews for the opinions. There are a variety of approaches to the issue of uh, abortion within Jewish tradition, um, not just within the non-Orthodox world, but within the Orthodox world. And the overriding factor, it's not to me a question, and this is what I was discussing with her, it's not a Judaism uh, pro-choice or pro-life. Judaism and the way the rabbis have approached it are pro-woman, pro-mother. And the determination here is what is the impact on a, on a woman's life, her health, her well-being, and as we've seen even within Jewish legal tradition, how that impacts on her mental health. Um, so that those were the issues. It's not a ma- It wasn't a matter of the analysis of that the baby to be born would have no quality of life because this Rabbi Emmanuel Jacobovitz, the late um, chief rabbi of the British Empire, once said, you know, life is of infinitesimal value, and how can we decide that? The question, though, is what is the impact of this pregnancy and potential birth on the mother's uh, well-being, her health, her life, and her mental health? And that is different than when we look at just in terms of abortion on demand, uh, what we, you know, the way, way it's set up in this country. In Israel, it's a little bit different. So that from the get-go, the end result might be the same, but the analysis is coming from a different place. Okay, so would it be correct that uh, Dita Berkowitz to say that according to uh, Jewish law, Jews would therefore be neither pro-choice or pro-life? Well, the, the reason to be pro-choice is uh, because of the right for us to practice our religion. Uh, under the, you know, the Constitution, because it gets very tricky. There are Jewish tradition, and the rabbis are unanimous in the idea that life does not, as we under- define life, begins at conception. We might say that once a child is conceived, that there's a shama that's in the soul, but we don't say right from the get-go uh, that there's a life there. Um, the question is, what is the consideration for ending potential life? And when does potential life become, uh, the way the Supreme Court originally defined it, was, um, you know, uh, it's not just in Roe versus Wade, but there was another case 
uh, the Casey case, which I don't want to get too technical, but basically looked at the issue of viability, the ability to live outside the womb. And the rabbis, and you know, discussed this thousands of years ago. That, for example, suppose um, you know, can you rescue someone on Shabbat um, where they're pregnant, right? And the issue would be, and they say, well, violate Shabbat so that there'll there'll be a future here. So that again, it's not it's not clear cut. However, the the problem is, and that's kind of the devil is in the details is. Is what happens if you say, you know, we're, we are a pro, we, Jewish tradition says you can approach it this way, but you're living in a state which says abortion is not allowed at all, uh, because we view life beginning at conception. So okay, as, you're, as you're, Orthodox Jews. Let, let me, let me jump in because there's a bunch of things going on over here. Let's, let's back a little bit. Let's get a little bit more basic. Where in the Bible does it talk about abortion? Right. So the only, it's interesting you say that, the only source that we have that, that somewhat kind of, uh, that it's connected to it, it's not, it's not really about abortion, but rather um, it's a source in the uh, Shemot, in the book of Exodus, in chapter 21, in which it, it seems to uh, define for us regarding the personhood of the fetus, because it talks about two men are getting into a fight, one of them pushes a pregnant woman, and she miscarries. If no other damage uh, ensues, the Torah, the Hebrew Bible says, the one responsible is fined according to what the husband can exact from him. But if other damages ensues, right, the penalty then is life for life. So the question is, what does that mean? So it seems that as long as there's no fatal injury to the woman following her, mar- her miscarriage, then... The inflictor only needs to compensate the husband financially for the loss of the fetus. So it would seem then that the fetus is then seen as possessing like a monetary value, which makes one what they call a more liable in tort, meaning it's not a, it's not a capital crime. And we find that elucidated and explained later um, where, where another source says no other damage refers to the woman. And the one responsible shall be fine refers to compensation for the loss of the fetus. So that's the only place in the in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, that we see a discussion that would seem to then indicate that if someone causes a miscarriage, it's not a capital crime. Therefore, we, we're not considering the fetus as, as a person. So that's uh, the... Perfect, perfect. Exactly what we're looking for now, but... Pro-choice people will say there's something called fetal rights. Does Judaism recognize any rights to the fetus? Because we, we, we're we not, like you said before, we're not pro-life in that a person can just decide, I don't feel like being pregnant today. Right. So so it's interesting because we find in rabbinic literature in the Talmud, we'll find, for example, a passage that describes a fetus as literally kind of the thigh of the mother connected. Um, and the rabbis will determine, like, during the first 40 days, the fetus is described as, as, uh, as like, near, near water. But although the fetus is not a person, as the rabbis see it, will say, in a juridical sense, because it represents potential life, then the question becomes as a balancing act of who, who has priority here. So, that, so it's, 
we see that brought out in a famous discussion regarding when a woman, if she's having difficulty in labor, um, in this source in the Mishnah, which is part of the Jewish legal tradition, the rabbinic discussion, um, it says that if her life is being threatened, literally the fetus could be dismembered. But once sort of crowning takes place, once she's like in labor, then essentially how do you substitute one life for another? So the, the, the issue really is, is that within Jewish tradition, it's a very nuanced approach. And that just to kind of say, well, there's, you know, a right to life, or, you know, pro-choice, pro-life, fetal rights, maternal rights, women's rights, etc. Um, it's, it's much more complicated because it, it sort of is the most basic thing is that in our tradition, Jewish law prioritizes the life of the pregnant woman over the life of the fetus. I think this is the easiest way to perhaps explain it, where the pregnancy critically endangers her physical health or her maternal health. And then at that point, it's not just that it's, whether it's allowed, it would be considered mandated. Okay, so that's, that's one way to look at it. But it's not, uh, it's not grounded in the same way in terms of women, you know, the rights that we have. It's grounded in what is the responsibility to ensuring that the woman's life and health, and again, it was, it was only in um, the 18th century that we saw one of the rabbinic uh, individuals, Rabbi Emden, who, a blessed memory, who was approached, who basically expanded the idea of saying, if a woman is in like deep, great pain, great need, he had allowed uh, an abortion to take place where a woman was um, about facing having a, a child from an illicit relationship. And in the modern era, we've seen, again, that's what I've said, where women have faced, faced terrible, terrible, and, and, and they and their husband have, and their partner have faced just terrible uh, news of carrying children, the terrible, uh, whether it's, it's uh, in the 1960s, it was Tay-Sachs, which caused the child horrific pain, horrific suffering, horrific suffering for the parents to watch this, or other um, types of um, genetically anonymous diseases. So that, again, it's the emotional issue that's tied in with the physical issue, and therefore the analysis is very different. The problem is, is that if you're an Orthodox woman and you live in a state which has barred abortion uh, after six weeks, or after 15 weeks. Oh, let me let me jump in. Let me, let me jump in, Adina, please. Just to remind people that if you're just tuning in, our guest today is Rabbanit Adina Berkowitz, who we are talking about what Jewish law and Jewish thought says about abortion, the topic which has become very hot with the, the leak of from the decision from SCOTUS to overturn Roe v. Wade. There is an adage, Dina de Malhusa Dina, the law of the land is Torah, meaning, for example, there is a law in this country that you cannot go through a red light. So therefore, a person is violating Jewish law if they drive through a red light. There are 26 states in this country, that's more than, more than half, barely, that have some kind of law however old they are, the law in Michigan was written in 1931 that makes abortion a crime. And so 
What about the adage of the law of the land? So somebody in Michigan would be violating the law. New York does not have such a law. And therefore, in New York, it's not a violation. So what do we do about the law of the land is, the, is Torah, Adina Berkowitz? Uh, well, <laughs> that's, that's why people are so concerned with this. Because even by the standard of the Supreme Court from years ago, where they said certain laws meant to uh, provide guidelines for abortion are going to be illegal if they also put an undue burden on a woman. So this is definitely putting an undue burden on us because it's a challenge to our ability to practice our religion is guaranteed under the Constitution. So that that, that is primarily the reason why um, that even Orthodox Jews have said, you know, if it's a choice between A or B, then we have to take B. We, we have to support the idea that the state has really, really limited ability to come in and regulate this, or certainly to ban it or to set up onerous regulations, because it could end up that we'll be violating halakha. We will not be able to practice our religion. So that that, that is one of the deep problems here. Um, and that, that is, that's an issue that could face uh, observant Jews who live in Texas or live in one of the other states. Um, that, you know, what do you do about a law that's passed that is, is causing us these hardships? I mean, on a completely, you know, in, in like a completely different uh, arena. Look at how uh, Orthodox Jews, observant Jews, in the early part of the tw- late 19th century, early 20th century, when so many came here, and you had blue laws. Uh, and you would be fine if you, instead of opening on, because you, you couldn't uh, have your business open on Saturday, it was open on Sunday. Eventually, it was struck down as unconstitutional because it's an infringement of just someone's ability to, not just the free trade, but if you couldn't, you, what do you mean I'm going to be fine for opening on Sunday? I can't work on Saturday. So, that is definitely a consideration that goes into how these laws are crafted, meaning I understand for someone who's coming from a fundamentalist approach of Catholics who believe that life begins at conception, I understand the deep pain they have. The question, though, is, is that coming from our tradition, which is nuanced and views it differently, then, my, then I would not be able to be fulfilling the precepts of how our faith approaches this issue, and that's the problem. Okay, that's amazing. Um, okay, so you mentioned before that the mother's life is paramount of all. So there was a, ta- a term which was coined, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, and I didn't, I didn't hear it before that. And it was the, the term is late-term abortion. The concept of late-term abortion is actually discussed in the Mishnah. And could you uh, maybe shift uh, a couple of seconds on that, please, Adina? Right. So that I, I had referenced it before that it talks about a woman who's in difficult labor. That literally, it's a very graphic mishnah and oh hello that that talks about the fact that literally the you know you could dismember uh, you could mem- dismember the the fetus, but once it's it's sort of its head is is crowning. Once it's you know it's sort of entering. Uh, the world, then you can't, how do you choose between, you have to choose between one life over another. That, so that in its like purest form, that's what it says. The, but the issue, the issue that we, the way it, it plays out is that, you know, today 
if it's a choice between the two, you could be in a very religious hospital in Israel. You know, if you have the woman there and she's hemorrhaging, they're, they're going to try to save her. You know, that's, it's a, it's a different, it's a different, um, it's a different approach. And, and it's the, you know, the late term abortion, uh, when that came up in the Senate and it, it's come up in different states, et cetera, is very complicated because certainly, you know, when we look at from the standpoint, it, it happened, it was in the media some, some time ago about what happens if quote unquote there's like a failed abortion and the baby is born. You're just going to leave it on the table, like to die, cover it, and and that's of course not that we view that as infanticide. So that, but the issue is, is that is a woman coming in to have a late-term abortion because she she is hemorrhaging, she's going to die. So that's exactly what the rabbi said: is that in the sort of the conflict between like mother and child, so to speak, we look at the woman who is here who is living and our obligation is to her. It, but it's, that's very different than sort of broader, you know, quote unquote, legalized abortion on demand where they're not asking you like why you're coming in. And even at a later period of time, it's legal up to a point. It's obviously also one of the, I think the other animating issues here is that the technology has also changed uh, in the almost 50 years since Roe v. Wade because now you have babies that are born at 25 weeks, 26 weeks, that you find. So that it makes the idea of, like, uh, abortion at that latter stage more complicated. American, the polling that has been done shows, for example, in the country, there's, like, humanity, overwhelming support to really be able to do what they, uh, under the Constitution, as, as Roe explained it, have the right to privacy and the ability to make this decision during that first trimester. It gets more complicated, as most people see it, the latter you get. And the question then is, do you need, in Jewish law, it's you need a very good reason to end that pregnancy. In American law, it's different. Um, and the issue is, when can the state kind of step in and say, you know, we have the obligation to regulate also the ability to live outside the womb, viability. That's why it's so complicated. And that's why even, I think, Orthodox Jews are very concerned because, if it goes, if it ends up that Roe v. Wade is uh, reversed, it then gets thrown back to the states. In New York, where I'm from, it's not going to affect anybody, but it could affect uh, religious Jews who live in states where it's, it's going to be banned, and those bans are going to come up directly on the opposite end of where our tradition looks at this uh, thorny issue. Okay, perfect. Again, our guest today is Rabbi Neet Adina Berkowitz. We're talking about what Jewish law and philosophy says about abortion. Okay, so you said the mother's life, if it's endangered, then the abortion wouldn't may be condoned. And of course, let me just iterate, we're talking general, we're talking theory. If anybody has a question about something, if they are actually thinking about this, they need to go talk to an expert rabbi in the situation because every case is different. We can't just blanketly say you can do this in every situation. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as every situation. Each situation is unique. Given that caveat, this woman has a propensity to uh, postpartum depression. Is Tell us about, there's a chance that she might 
commit suicide if she has a kid? It will affect her mental health and she'll be tell, – tell us about the mental health issue then, uh, Adina. Right. So it has come up, a woman who's like, who is so prone to suicide, a woman who has been raped, a woman who is it's a victim of, of incest. Um, so that the, definitely the, the, um, the, I would say the issue is, is that the woman's life, health, and well-being comes first. And, if, and the rabbis are actually looking at this based on the information, like the medical information and the psychological information they have, and how the woman is, you know, what her pain is. So that it's, it's not necessarily a right to privacy or right of ownership of one's body, but it's rather the well-being of the woman that is paramount. And that it's, it's somewhat of a balancing act, and we've seen it, for example, uh, I'll tell you in terms of technology, it's, it's gotten less complicated today because they've done a better job of, in terms of women who have fertility treatments. But, you know, years ago, you have a lot of, um, through like in vitro, et cetera, it, um, it ended up that there were multi-fetal pregnancies. And the question was, what are the risks for women of carrying so many fetuses to term? Because it could affect their health, well-being. It could cause all of them to die. So the question was, could the doctors, was it halachically permissible to reduce the number of fetuses by aborting some to allow others to be born? So that was, that's been um, very, that was very interesting. And the justification in most cases is really based on the health risk to the woman. That is, that is the point. It's she is living, she is paramount. That is overwhelmingly how the rabbis tend to look at this. Um, and as you said, it's a case by case because every case can be, can be, um, you know, can be uh, seen as different. It, it's, it's gotten even more complicated because, you know, what happens with new technology um, where uh, you can find out the sex of the embryo, and then you want to decide which ones to implant. Are you allowed to, to pick the sex, etc.? So there, there are other issues um, that come, come about. But, um, again, um, what we see in our tradition is that while a fetus is not viewed from conception fully as a person, Jewish tradition definitely stops short of a complete dis- um, dismissal of the value problem in ending that potential uh, uh, that potentiality. Overwhelmingly, really what we see is that the primary concern lies with woman. She exists, her voice and her needs must be heard. And, and it's her life, no matter how slim even her chances of survival are, and her well-being and her mental health come first. Okay. And that is the standard that, um, that the rabbis use in looking at this very difficult topic. Okay, terrific. Without getting too technical, is there any difference? Used to be abortions were done surgically. Now they're done medically with the uh, use of uh, uh, aborting drugs. Is there any difference in halacha that one may be more lenient than the other? Well, it could be if you take like a morning after pill because the fetus, as we've seen, is defined during the first 40 days as near water. So 
it's, you know, it's a completely, you know, it's, it's different. You know, again, you know, there's a pronatal view, obviously, in our tradition, a very high value that is put on, on having children. But it could be a situation where, you know, a, a woman finds, you know, is concerned she's maybe pregnant and she has, she has uh, the measles. She's been taking certain medication that could result in terrible, terrible problems um, that uh, if she were to be pregnant. So that, again, you see it's, 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 it's those it's those considerations that come into play, but obviously we don't, you know, Judaism does not ban contraception either. In other words, it may be people seek out rabbinic uh, opinions as to, you know, if they can, but it's not, if they can, it's not, as you find in other um, faith communities, that there's a ban on it. In Judaism, what we see within the Orthodox community, is there's an understanding sometimes of why a person can do it. So, it would be the same thing here, but it's much less of a conundrum of a morning after pill versus once, you know, you're you're pay out, you know, you're even in the, the you know, the the, the twelfth week, uh, and and you start hearing heartbeat. So. Um, okay, understood. Okay, that is, we are out of time. This is a, a, a very important topic, and I encourage people to investigate further, and this should be just a, a jumping-off point. And again, if you have any specific questions, go ask your local authoritative rabbi of what you should do in your specific interest. We want to thank you so much, Rabbi Nita Dina Berkowitz, for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, take care. We're going to take Okay. Quick commercial break and be right back. We've got Dan and Nessel coming up next. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want, want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M I for Michigan, K O for kosher, and S U P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Up next, for your listening pleasure, this is Simcha Friedman. He's one of the many free, singing Friedman people. And the song is called Hakhel. This year is a Hakhel year. It's the year following the sabbatical year. In the Temple Times, the king would read the entire book of Deuteronomy, which took about, I don't know, two hours or so, while sitting in, while being in the temple in Jerusalem. And the entire Jewish populace, men, women, and, men, women, and children, would come to hear. And it was supposed to be with such a feat as actually witnessing the giving of the Torah on Sinai. Um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1981 said that people should make hakel gatherings in honor of the year, get men, women, and children together, have parties, get to, you know, do things, talk about Jewish things. So this is Simcha Friedman. Let's listen. Hashmita, <laughs> 
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community. And Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Fitman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. For those who like Klezmer, the band is called Klezmer Chaos. It's a Czechoslovakian band, and they spell chaos, K-A-O-S. And the song is called, for whatever reason, Froggy Chaos.
Some things are better the way they used to be, like the crisp feel of a cool autumn day, the serenity of a baby sleeping, or the feeling of coming home after a long trip. Franklin Cider Mills makes cider the way cider is supposed to be. Its old-fashioned, clear, crisp taste reminds you of a cool autumn day. Located in the heart of historic Franklin Village at 14 Mile and Franklin Road, Franklin Cider Mill has been making cider the same way for over a century. Always fresh, with no additives or preservatives. You just can't buy Franklin Cider in any supermarket. Franklin Cider Mill is open from Labor Day weekend to after Thanksgiving from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Come visit Franklin Cider Mill. It's kind of like coming home. Finman here, you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Uh, next, we've got time for one more. This is Yaakov Shweki brand new. It's called Baruch Hashem at Shabbos. Thank God we get the day off.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We promised that if we got October paid, we wouldn't have to do any appeals. So I'm not making an appeal. Baruch Hashem. You can send in your money and that we won't have to do for November also as well. So go to RabbiFinman.com, and you'll see all the wonderful things that are happening at RabbiFinman.com. There are archive editions of the show. We have uh, missives about the weekly portion. We have videos. We have classes. It's all, it's all there. And uh, while you're checking, you can check out what's doing at Jewish Ferndale at JewishFerndale.com, a sister organization. This week is the portion of Noah. Noah. Genesis number six and following. Details the story of the flood. There is a custom in many synagogues that at the conclusion of last Shabbos, which is a portion of Breshis at the beginning of Genesis, somebody is appointed and they um, go to the center of the, the, ta- the shul, center of the synagogue, and they bang on the table where the Torah is read and they recite the words Yaakov Holach Ladarko. And Yaakov went on his way as an indication that the month of Tishrei, with the nine Yomim Tovim, the nine holidays, plus the intermediary days, plus the days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Yom Kippur and Sukkot, when everybody's running around doing whatever they have to do, are done. We have to take, as it says, we've packed our bags full with Tishrei. Now we're going into... Cheshvan. This week we start the week of Cheshvan. And we have to take that with us. And that's the idea of Yaakov Holach Ladarko. What does that got to do with the portion of Noah? Well, actually, at the end of the flood, after we did the 40 days and 40 nights, everybody knows how long was the flood for? 40 days and 40 nights. But the flood wasn't 40 days and 40 nights because after the flood rained for 40 days and 40 nights, do you know how long the water rose up after the 40 days? No, some people don't know. 150 more days, the flood came up. So when Bill Cosby, I'm mentioning his name, said, I got a better way for you, just stop up the sewers and let the back, let, let the flood waters back up. That's basically what God did. It was 150 days that the water rose on top of that. So it's 190 days. But then it took time for the water to recede. And Noah, by the time he actually landed on Mount Ararat and the dove didn't come back and they realized that they could go out, it was 10 days shy of a year that Noah was in the boat. And Noah didn't want to go out of the boat. Why did Noah not want to go out of the boat? He was stuck in a boat with every animal on earth. <laughs> it's kind of like I say, could you imagine the smell? Actually, the Almighty made it very nice for Noah 
in that boat. In fact, it emulated the Garden of Eden. So if he's in the Garden of Eden, why would he want to leave? So he didn't want to leave. So God said to him, God commanded him, say me in Hateva, go out of the go out of the boat. It's get out. I didn't make the world says you should live in a boat. You have to go out and make the world. And at the end of the portion it lists the seventy nations that became the seventy descendants of Noah that became the seventy nations. So we're told that the expression same in a teva also relates to Tishrei. Tishrei is like an ark. It's a protective cover for us. We kind of like, you should pardon the expression, rejuvenate, J-E-W, ourselves. But now that we've got all of this stuff, it's time for Yaakvul HaLuch Ladarka. It's time to go out and hit the road. we got to take that with us. We have to bring our Tishrei with us throughout the 11 months of the year so that now we have a better year. This week will mark the anniversary of the passing of Yaakov Yosef of Paul Neuer, who was one of the premier disciples of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. And there's a story, very amazing story. How did he become a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov? So it happened that in the city of Paul Neuer, which is in Hungary, there was a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. And this disciple of the Baal Shem Tov had a daughter, and the daughter got married, got engaged. And in the uh, tenoyim, the conditions of the marriage, one of the conditions was that the Baal Shem Tov would perform the wedding, and the wedding would be in the city of Paul Neuer. Now, the normal thing is, is that the rabbi of the town be the one who performs the wedding. And if the rabbi doesn't mind, if they bring in a guest, so then they have to ask the rabbi first. So the uh, student explained that this was his rabbi and he doesn't want to slight the Rabbi Yaakov Yosef. And Rabbi Yosef said, it's no problem. The Baal Shem Tov, I heard he's a holy person. That's fine. Comes the night of the wedding, Yaakov Yosef, who is invited to the wedding, decides he's not going. He felt that it wouldn't be proper, that it might cause uncomfortable because people would say, since he's the rabbi of the town, that he should be doing the wedding. The Baal Shem Tov is just a guest. And he decides he's not going to go. So he opens up a book. He was this amazing scholar. It's not going. He can't concentrate. He's thinking to himself, maybe I should really go to the wedding. Maybe I should see if the Baal Shem Tov really is. And it just plagued him. So what did he do? Closed the book. He didn't go to the wedding. But he just saw that at the wedding hall, there was an open window. And so he went and he stood by the window. And it happened to be right behind the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov was giving a talk. And he, everybody was engrossed in what the Baal Shem Tov was saying. And he said, as soon as Yaakov started listening, he said, you should know, your rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, is a very holy man. But he made two mistakes. The first mistake happened uh, the day before Passover. And he was writing his speech for Passover and it was so noisy in the house, he went up to the roof. But it was already, it's getting hot. So he got thirsty. So he went down. He didn't want to bother anybody. Everybody's running around preparing for Passover. So he went out into the street and he saw a water carrier. And uh, he asked the water carrier for some water. And the water carrier said, I'm sorry, this is for specifically this is for, for earmarked for somebody and kept going. He's the rabbi of the town. He was incensed. He said some sharp words to the water carrier. But he didn't know that the water carrier was one of the 36 hidden righteous people in which the world stands for. And this water had a very specific person. But he didn't know that. So, okay, we'll give him a pass. Rabbi Yaakov Yosef said, how did he know that? I remember, of course, I, I remember that. So the second thing that happened is it happened this last Tisha B'Av. 
when people were mourning the destruction of the temple, that the rabbi stayed late in the synagogue and was sitting on the floor, and he was so moved because of the destruction of the temple and the Shekhinah, the divine presence being in exile, that he cried bitter tears asking for the Messiah to come. And it was decreed that the Messiah should come that day. The Satan stood up and said, What are you being so impressed about this guy for? I can I can give him to me. They said, Okay, try. He's a holy Jew. You can't get him so fast. So the Satan came down, dressed as an eminent scholar, and he was holding an apple. And he said to him, It's like one o'clock in the morning, he said, Rabbi, you're so you're you're you have to eat something. He said, no, it's Tisha B'Av. Get out of here. He said, no, it's the, according to the law. If you're going to faint, you should really eat something. And he started thinking about it. So now the Satan sees he's got him leaning. So he, he developed more arguments, more scholarly arguments. And finally, Yaakov Yosef took the apple and said, maybe you're right. And he said the blessing for the one says before eating it fruit of the tree but before he put it into his mouth he threw it on the floor he realized that he'd been duped that this was the Satan and he said get out you and everything with it and he disappeared so he went home he had a dream he dreamt that he walked out of town and he was um, standing in front of a beautiful orchard and he went to the gate of the the garden and said, whose orchard is this? He said, this is, the, this is your orchard. He said, I don't have an orchard. He said, you got an orchard. When you said a, bra, a blessing on that f- apple and you didn't eat, you created a blessing in vain. This is an evil orchard. It belongs to you. So he says, what do I do to get rid of it? He said, when you say the book of tear, Psalms with tears, you'll see at the end that the trees will be uprooted so he woke up from the dream and right after davening he's uh, morning prayers he sat down he said the book of tears psalms with tears for lamenting what he had done and after the first book psalms was divided into five sections he he fell asleep really quick and he saw that the apples had fallen off the trees he woke up quickly and he started saying more and when he finished the second one the leaves had fallen off the trees and the third book, he fell asleep, woke up, and he had seen that the branches were were starting to go limp. But the fourth book, the the branches had all fallen off the trees, and it was just the trunks. And when he finished the fifth book, he saw that the trees were uprooted. So he understood that his tshuva, had, his repentance had been accepted. This is the Baal Shem Tov telling the story. Yaakov Yosef, who is listening from behind the Baal Shem Tov, is floored, flabbergasted. How does he know what I dream? He said, he must be a holy Jew. With this, the Baal Shem Tov stood up and turned around to the window and said, Yaakov Yosef, if you really want your repentance to be complete, you have to be a follower of mine. And indeed, Yaakov Yosef was in line to be successor for the Baal Shem Tov's position when the Baal Shem Tov passed away. But uh, he pri- <laughs> politely uh, passed it on to the Dove Bear of Mizritchers. That's going to do it. We hope it's a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you have a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Bye. Uh-huh.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.